Hey, it's the boys from Saw Spoken, and we are so glad that you are listening to our new friend Marv and his podcast, Pods Like Us. Yeah, we were recently on the show for a couple of episodes, and we really enjoyed it. And if you'd like to catch a little bit more of us with all the raunchiness and sauce-based humor that you're used to, feel free to check us out on our show. But in the meantime, keep enjoying Pods Like Us with Marv. We enjoyed talking with Marv as much as we hope you enjoy listening to him. Now back to the show. Hello and welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Quibell, known to my friends as Marv. And this time I am joined by the filmmaker, Matthew Zaytoun. Hello, Matthew. How are you? What's going on, world? How you doing, England? (laughs) You know that's going to have to be the introduction to your podcast now. That's going to be my ad lib for forever. Yes, yeah. Zaytoun in the afternoon. I actually have a trademark already. My, my lawyers are on it. Yeah. Well, it's always the afternoon somewhere. It's always the afternoon somewhere, as you can see. You got to get like a... Actually, my one buddy, Squirrel, who uh, he has a podcast as well. Yeah. Um, he just has Heineken all over the background. Like, uh, just like, there's just like sponsors the show. I think he just, he just loves Heineken and I guess he's shooting for it. Yeah. Uh, but the guy still loves Heineken, you know what I mean? But you know, you gotta, you gotta wear the brands you love. Shout out to Patagonia. Uh, yeah. I actually really like Yvonne Schoenar and he's a, he's a good CEO. Good guy. But yeah, man. I don't know. So what's your first memory of, of watching a film? My first memory of watching a film were the VHSs, man. Yeah. The VHSs in the 90s were, were nuts. But you, I remember being like a little kid and we would get a, you would get like a VHS sometimes off of like either like Happy Meals or something and get those like those, uh, those orange cassette tapes like back in the day. And I remember hanging out with like my, my older and like little cousins and we would just, uh, just watch cartoons over and over and over. And then uh, I would hang out by their house and uh, they had just had like a bunch of VHSs and we would just, uh, they didn't have cable television. So we would just keep watching um, movies over and over. And uh, it was one film that uh, I still watch this day a lot. Uh, my family's Lebanese. Uh, so there's one film uh, called West Beirut uh, by I learned later in life it was Quentin Tarantino's first AC made the film. He's like the wow. Bride of Lebanon, uh, uh, Ziad Dwery. Yeah, he uh, the the fir- the focus puller for fucking like Reservoir Dogs, uh, Pulp Fiction, and like Jackie Brown. He made his own film called West Beirut, uh, and it was about uh, basically like how how things in Lebanon changed, like when the uh, the the civil war like broke out over there so um it was just very uh, and it was a foreign language film so you would have to like read the subtitles and like you know uh, but it was like very it was very powerful imagery well actually it wasn't even very powerful imagery it was actually now i understand the imagery but like back then it was just like uh we would watch it over and over and over again because i think my dad just like uh just didn't return the the VHS to, to to Blockbuster. I think he just like stole the fucking VHS. Um, and uh, we would watch it over and over again. And uh, 
that's like my initial spark into it but it didn't really make me a filmmaker yeah. i actually didn't even realize that uh that films were uh were subject to photography until like very later in my life photography actually was my first like foray into it so what, what led you, what led you i mean first of all just just as a tangent i used to think those t- those video cassettes were so cool you know were, that were differently colored like you said you know the, the orange or the yellow and yeah. the blue bright yeah. blue t- tape cassettes and you used to think oh that's so cool Whereas you look back on it now and you think, well, of course, it'd be easy for them to do. They just change the color of the plastic. But back then, when yeah. we were younger, we used to think that's that was that was awesome. We, so we lost the packaging with the, with all this digital shit. Now, like, there's no. Uh, it's just like it, it's just like literally like avatars now. Everybody just has a bunch of avatars. And that's the extent of the packaging for everything. It's kind of why I like the Midnight Miracle because the guy. Uh, Dave Chappelle's trying to, to release vinyls yep. of the uh, uh, of the what's it called? Hold on, let me see. Let's see if I should move. Uh, I'm getting too loud. Hold on. Woo. The people listening is walking, walking around. He's got, <laughs> he's got a really cool studio. Oh yeah. As you can, sorry about that, guys. It's a little ridiculous. Just uh, I have a lot of people that live over here, so it's uh, a little bit darker right now. But this is my room. It's kind of a mess right now, so I can't really give you the tour. But uh, yeah, man. I mean, we I feel like we lost the packaging when it came to uh, when it comes to all these digital products. Like yeah. uh, it's mostly uh, anything nowadays. That's the one thing I've realized as a filmmaker is. Uh, it's more the people are digesting so much content. Yep. Like more content than we ever had before. Like if you really think about like watching the VHS, was the process of going to Blockbuster, making your selection, bringing it back, finding out that it's shitty, bringing it back to Blockbuster. You know what I mean? It was this whole process. So the, the standards I feel were a lot higher. Uh, like things weren't like th- I, I mean there's a lot of shitty movies that got made but like uh just the selection and the curation of like what cream is rising to the top was like a lot a yeah. lot crazier now right now i feel like the entire thing is reach um so and like but like back in the day like there was like good packaging like when you would buy an album like it was an album it wasn't like yeah Oh, I skipped through all these tracks. Da, 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 da. It was like, you know, front to back, like let it bleed by like the Rolling Stones. It's like that's like an album. Like, you know what I mean? Yep. White album's like an album. Like now, uh shit just ends up being content. It's not uh I mean it's good because people are just making their money and it's a lot but it's like it's a double-edged sword because everybody has this uh this unlimited free range of uh, uh of release. Of, of distribution and release and it's all literally like you know the amount of energy you're putting to these platforms like you know like, like you have to have a good facebook thing you have to have a good youtube thing in order for anything to get made and they look at that too your stats become a a lot of the uh if like a, if like a major company's investing in you man if you're like going for like like uh legendary pictures or like you know like uh, universal or whatever they're going to look at your stats and uh they just kind of judge you off of those, which is not necessarily, you know, I'm not, it's not necessarily helping the art, 
because like, you know, some artists just can't market themselves. But then again, that's part of the whole game, isn't it? But uh, yeah, man, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's strange, man. It's, it's a, it's a strange game now, but uh, you still just got to make your art. man. Yep. It's the, it's the biggest thing is uh, if you feel like the piece, that's why I really liked uh, West Beirut, man, because uh, I mean, granted it's resonating with the audience of like, you know, like I got, I was like a young Lebanese kid uh, and, you know, like, I guess I was the market cause I was trying to learn a little bit more about my culture and uh, it was a beautiful film, but uh, it, uh, you know, like, like nobody, like if I mentioned the name Ziad Dwery to like the, the person who's like outside of the, the actual cinephile like community, yep. it's not going to really ring bells. But if you mention like, I don't know, Spike Lee or Martin Scorsese, like there's a couple people that rose to the top and like granted they rose to the top because of their artistry, but uh you know, like nobody will market a film better than like Kevin Feige out of like Marvel. You know what I mean? Like now the yeah. films are so commercial that it becomes like, like feel like those Marvel movies. Like I, I, I agree with Scorsese a little bit because they are like uh, content. Like they are more uh, like they're like amusement park rides, you know, like you're going to the cinema to have a good time. Like yep. back in the day, you would watch, uh, you know, like the, I mean, but then again, there's always been like amusement park rides, man. It's shit's been going on since Jurassic Park, and you can't really say like Jurassic Park isn't a piece of cinema. I mean, it is a piece of cinema because it shifts. As long as I feel like the art is shifting some form of consciousness, and people are actually leaving with value or something that's uh, that's new, and like is is a piece of the human condition that they are truly resonating with. Uh, that's when it's real. You know what I mean? That's when like, that's the beauty of the entire process of it. It's the most ridiculous process I I can ever even fathom. Uh, there's so many moving parts. Uh, there's so much like money at risk. It's, it's like, it's a, that's why I like the majority of a uh, Hollywood producers, man, they're just like degenerate gamblers. Which is uh, which is wonderful. It's beautiful in a sense. But are we all? I mean, really, if you think about it, there's that there's been that sort of as you called it, sort of almost like an amusement ride. Uh, that sort of feel with with things. Technically, we're talking about blockbuster films essentially here. So you you'll probably go back yeah, to yeah. I would say you probably go back to the seventies with this with something like Star Wars, which probably started that trend. You know, so I mean that sort of along similar lines in a way i think i think really in a sense the biggest problem that we've got at the moment with cinema is that there's too much of that blockbuster mentality in a way which is getting in the way of getting more thought-provoking films out there to the public at the cinema and why we're in a world which is not really certain of where it's going because i, I think there's a there's a fear in a sense that because of, I think it's been caused a lot by what's with the COVID problem where a lot of films were there on the back burner waiting to go out. And yeah. essentially the cinema and the, and the, uh, the film studios were thinking, well, we've got this backlog of films, uh, this sort of film that's about person one and person two in a relationship. That's not going to sell tickets as much as this film and we've got all these films to fit into this short period so we'll throw this lesser film to our mind onto a streaming platform and we'll put this one mm -hmm. out in the cinema 
and there's a danger of that possibly shaping the future. Oversaturation. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's uh but you do have studios now that uh that are just producing it's like the difference between like I don't even want to say Nicolas Cage, but Nicolas Cage just ends up taking a lot of roles. But then again, he works the roles, man. He does. Like yep. you can't you can never knock that man's like he'll take the most ridiculous role and he'll still rock it. But Nicolas Cage is like a little bit of a whore. Uh, then you have like Leo who will take like, you know, like he like vets his, uh, he vets his filmography uh, very heavily. Uh, you have studios that are just trying to make a buck, like, you know, like, uh, like Sony. But then again, at the end of the day, man, everything kind of makes sense. Like Sony, Sony has to recoup their investment. Yeah. Regardless of it. That's why they have like the emoji movie. Uh but you know, out of Sony, like you'll get like I don't know whatever X blockbuster that they're, that they're trying to release. But then they'll come out with like Goodfellas, you know what I mean? And Goodfellas yes. is a testament. Yep. But like, but right now, I think like the leader in all that shit is A twenty four. But A twenty four has become its own meme of a of a of a of a studio because they just only produce like Steve Carell is the dad that cares, you know, or like you yeah. know whatever. But 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 at the end of the day, they do they produce like these. Janice Films has a lot, but I feel like they're mostly archival. Uh, A24 is uh, is the one that's like bringing out like great scripts that are coming, man. They're like, they're the United Artists of our time. Uh, yeah, I do sometimes wish I, I when I was making films, I, I was making them in the 70s. But then again, we have so much, uh, so much ease now, you know what I mean? Like we, uh, we have unlimited film stock, you know what I mean? If, if I had to like sit there and go through I mean, but then again, that's the whole process of it. It's the, there's more like shit at stake uh, back in the seventies, because like, if you didn't like properly store your film stock, like your, like your trade as a filmmaker was, it was a trade, bro. Now everybody can pivot off. Like if, if I, if my films don't end up selling, you know what I mean? I could be like a YouTube douchebag or, you know what I mean? Or like, but like, I don't know. It's it's a different thing between content and cinema. Like content is like, you know, it's just keeping everybody's like drug addiction to uh, of this drug addiction that everybody has developed off of Instagram and like, you know, having all this shit, all the, you know, all the all the drugs in the world at one time. But now uh, but then you do see cinema and it is like it's like a breath of fresh. It's like meditating or swimming. I don't know how to really explain it, but when you do see something, you're like, wow, that was a great movie. That's kind of like how I was with the podcast with Louis CK. I was like, wow, I just sat there for six hours and I don't feel like it was six hours. You know what I mean? It was like, I, that was like very, it was rewarding. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, it was like listening to it and like learning a little bit. Um, that and like the one OG documentary was sick. Cause it was just, just great, great filmmaking. You know what I mean? It's great, great telling stories. Telling stories is, is like an essential thing. It's the only real way that people actually like gain like perspective on the world. You know what I mean? Like, you know, just, I don't know, watching like a Satya Ray movie or like, uh, or like some French new wave and shit. Like even like studying new wave, like you just get like a feel, for the, not a feel for the culture, but you feel like, you're transported to all these different worlds 
and it's uh it's a it's a magic it's a real magic but the crazy thing is is if you really get really meta with it it's a it's just sunlight trapped on like a film like the mechanics of filmmaking is one of the one thing that still like baffles me to like this day bro it's just uh you know it's it's you're capturing the sun on like uh on a piece of celluloid and everybody on the piece of celluloid is in character and it's this whole this whole dynamic of an illusion that goes it's beautiful if you if you really think and after all the moving pieces bro all the fucking ego all the you know what i mean it's dollars hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes maybe twenty thousand but like all that shit and uh you know and at the end of the day it's like are you still gotta draw you know what i mean there's so many like moving parts and legs to it and it's uh it's all worth it the juice is always worth the squeeze because at the end of the day you know what i mean like i'll see like i don't really have any crazy films right now i have like samurai versus viking which shout out to neil gazai and reese van right my boys uh like i've worked on two of them i worked on a marijuana paradise like i was i was producer on marijuana paradise and i did like executive producing for in like movie uh, gorilla perpensente which was one that kind of had a budget and a cast and everything but like uh it you know like after all the stupid ego and shit man it's like just to see that that there's man they are like they're you at like a certain time you know what i mean like the the derivative of art is like an artifact you know what i mean it's like like you're making art your art is like the artifact uh and the artifact is like you know is the film is like you know like i can still reminisce about the day that we shot like balaclava with like my friend and uh you know like it it makes all the difference you know what i mean it's not not a crazy film like breaking out the fucking the bank or whatever but it's a you know you have that moment that's kind of why i i i respect one of the most film uh the biggest filmmaker i respect the most is uh is john cassavetes Uh, he was uh he made these films called like shot yeah you know you know you heard this guy yes i have absolutely uh he made films like called shadows and faces and like husbands and women under the influence and uh that's the thing he inspired scorsese scorsese is mixed between like orson wells like the very, very textbook like this is like this is like a medium shot and a foreground shot or whatever new wave but like in america with like you know but like more theater and like more structured like you know like it was a story but uh you know he he got to be able to make like real art for the shit um but one of Casavetti's philosophies is if you like actually like look at his cast is uh it's not necessarily about the uh I mean it's about the film, but uh it's about like the moment the experience you're having with your friends yep. is really the uh it's really the the, the the meat of it. Like, you know, if you're having a great time, it's gonna get captured on film. Like, I mean, but then again, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying like, you know, if you're having a shitty time, I'm pretty sure Coppola during Apocalypse Now was having a shitty time. It was like millions of dollars. He had to like leverage his house. And I'm pretty sure he was having a bad time, but he like powered through it. And that shit that's admirable is yep. the is the grit of it, is the fact that you have to be like a leader. You have to be a leader. You have to be an artist. You have to to be like a psychologist, a, a trait, like a, like a, this the wit of like a rug trader in like the Bangladesh, bro. Like, you know, to be able to even get the financing for the shit. Yeah. Uh, and like all those moving parts, man. 
And then you see the last piece and it's just fucking, you know, even if it's not even good, you still fucking enjoy it. It's like, it's the most, it's the most satisfying thing that I, I've ever experienced. There's a similarity in a way between, you know, the, the Coppola and, um, and the Cassavetes in a way, but where um, C- Coppola, you had, um, you had films where, I mean, he was sort of like, occasionally he had to toe the line and make a specific film because he'd been asked to make a certain film, but that allowed him to yeah. then go and make the films that he was really, really um, behind, you know, such as the... One you know, for the, them, one the for me. One for them, one for me. So you'd get the Peggy, Peggy yeah. Sue gets married and then you'd get before, you get, a, you get, um, you know, Godfather. Apocalypse Now or The Godfather but you'd always like one for them, one for me, one for them. And, well, the and, Godfather was also a fucking fight for that guy. Yes. It's always a fight. Yeah, that's the crazy shit about. But the weird always thing is, a fight. Yeah. I mean, the weird thing yeah. is that the Godfather originally that wasn't the film that he wanted to make. It was sort of like almost forced on him to make that. But then it became such a part of him to make the film, and sometimes it works that way. And I was going to say with. With Cassavetes, you've got something similar because he's a hell of an actor. John Cassavetes, hell of an actor. Fantastic actor. I've seen him in so many films. Uh, But he He did did it to support it, man. But he did that to support his own filmmaking and his own vision for those films that he wanted to make himself. So you've got that similarity between the two of them where the giving and then the taking. Yeah. Same with Coppola. Yeah. That was, uh, I think, Coppola. God, Coppola did The Godfather to save uh, to save American Zotrope because I think they're on like the brink of uh, bankruptcy, and uh, he, you know, like he did it, and it became a part of him. I actually, uh, The Godfather is such a textbook study, man, of like how, uh, like I, I, I mean, I, I like The Godfather. I love the, I just love this tale of the family and stuff. But the actual making and the techniques that that guy used, man, are nuts. Yeah. Like, uh, he actually took a he took a, a piece from theater uh, where like a, the what's it called the, the prompt book like he took a prompt book which is a only they really only use it in the theater for like cues and shit uh, so what he did uh, to do it is the Godfather notebook they sell this textbook online but I actually recreated one because uh, I just I wanted to know the process of it because if I ever adapt some shit yep. I'm totally doing that uh, so what you do is you buy two copies of the book right. Yep. Uh, so he bought two copies of The Godfather. He slipped the he slipped the spine of The Godfather and taped each one of them onto a binder, right? And then uh, he drew his notes right there on the page. So he said that the script, the screenplay in itself, was arbitrary because yep. he could go and see, like, uh, he could see the actual author's words and he would get his initial reaction to it. Like, Oh, we have to paste this up or we have to do this. And like, you know, he had his notes on the actual literature. Uh, the screenplay is like more of an architectural, like, you know, blueprint where it's like, this is a shot. This is what this guy says. This is this. You yeah. go with Scorsese, Scorsese. Like if you like read his scripts and you read the films, the, the moments everybody fucking remembers aren't in the scripts. Nope. None of them are in the scripts. It's just, you know, he knows how Pesci will play off of fucking De Niro. He knows how, like, 
if you give Leo like an open canvas, he can create within the canvas. You have to let the actors create within the canvas. I let them create so much in the canvas that I'm just fucking lazy. I don't even give them like, I give them like a very basic thing or like, here's a prop and we can like just improv off of it. But you know, that's, that's an art within itself, man. Improv is, uh, improv is great though. It's a, uh, it's, it's, but you can't necessarily improv the whole shit, but uh, the techniques that, uh, that's that Coppola was using, but uh, I digress the, the, what's it called? Um, see, he was, he was trying to, he made the Godfather in order to, to bail out Zotrope, man. But after he bailed it out and like, oh man, it was a picture of the year. You know what I mean? Even though they're trying to fucking fire his ass 80% of the damn time, yeah. but you know, he would like, he came up with little crafty ways in order to, to keep, to maintain his position. Uh, he made the conversation and uh, the conversation is a fucking, you know, that was for him. You know what I mean? One for them, one for me, one for them, one for me. And you gotta, you have to do that sometimes, man. It's uh, like, you know, sometimes you gotta make the emoji movie. Sometimes you'll make good fellows, but you know, uh, you know, good fellows will still exist. And you know, the emoji movie, you know, I don't know. I never saw after hours. Actually. I think, I, I think I should see after hours. I don't know. I don't know how many blemishes are on Scorsese's filmography. I don't know. I really, I really, I really don't know. Cause I've, everyone I've watched is pretty damn good. I mean, granted, silence. It. It's it's mostly sales. It's not like he's like being lazy. That's the crazy thing about it. I don't know. Maybe boxcar Bertha, but then that's him learning, man. He can't 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 hold that against the guy. I'm Agent Scott, and I'm Cam the Provocateur, and we're from the Spy Hards Movie Podcast. That's right, and you are listening to Pods Like Us, the podcast that has a license to thrill. So what inspired you to become a filmmaker yourself? I was living in Union City, New Jersey, and I I was working as a busboy and like a bartender and I was a waiter and I was going to culinary school and all this shit. Yeah. I quit my job and uh, I was doing photography at the time just as like a little hobby. Uh, you know, I was just fucking around with my ex-girlfriends like Canon. And uh, I was making music at the time. I, I wanted to be like a music producer. I was very like inspired by like uh, like Jay Dilla and fucking DJ Premier and like all these all these soul samples guys. Uh, I have like a pretty extensive like uh, music library. So I it was always a toss up between the two because I was a pretty decent I was a pretty decent photographer. I do like headshots, you know, just like random street photography. Uh, then, but I was it was a toss up between the two. Uh, I moved to Brooklyn and, you know, I was just still continuing that. And I was living in this uh, kind of a place that I'm in now where it's uh, uh, like a huge loft area. It was two floor loft, uh, the bottom. So I lived in the dojo. My, my, my landlord was this like a uh, 300 pound Dominican guy. Yep. And he, uh, he would like fight off like five people at the same time. So he'd be like, yo, man, you got to turn up the fucking the, the electricity and you're trying to pay your bill. You know what I mean, it was, it was nuts. This place is nuts too. Like I'll, I'll open the door sometimes and it's just like Buddhist monks like meditating or, or like a crazy stop. band. shout out to the prototype. Uh, what's it called? Uh, but I was living over there and I'd never left New Jersey and uh, me and my ex broke up and I was just wondering what, uh, what I should do with my damn life because I had these two things that I enjoyed. So I was either, my sister was in Calabasas. Uh, she like she networks with like a, 
a bunch of like rich motherfuckers. So uh, she was living in Calabasas and uh, Montreal. They said that I would need like eight years or something to get citizenship there in order to like live in Montreal. So I moved to Calabasas and I lived with my sister for a little bit. And I really wanted to work for Rick Rubin because uh, he had Shangri-La at the time. Uh, before Shangri-La actually became like, you know, like new, it was like a fairly new studio at the time. So I wanted to intern for him. Never got to intern for Rick Rubin, but whatever. So uh, my sister was like kind of crazy off LA. And uh, when I was there, I uh, I was still trying to make music and stuff. But, you know, I, uh, I started to realize that like movies in itself was just a, a very advanced form of photography. Yep. Like it was like, like you could get the still image, you know what I mean? And it's a very like focused piece. Um, but uh, to have like a starting image and then carry it to music. And it was a mix between, I, I started to like fall in love with it because it was a mix of all these things, man. It was like literature, you know, music, uh, theater, you know, uh, the colors, the painting. It was every, it's the embodiment of everything uh, is film. Cause it's a very hard thing to do. Um, and I liked that challenge. Uh, I was like, wow, this is like way better. So what I ended up doing was uh, uh, Martin Scorsese, he published a list of like 85 films that you're supposed to see to actually like understand uh, filmmaking. And uh, I started watching them and I started, uh, I was watching them and I, I would just screen cap every single frame because I wanted to understand the photography so much more. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It would, it would improve my photography because if I, even if I just stayed as a photographer, if I, if I watched them and I understood all these frames. Uh, so I started screen capping like every frame of, uh, of the, uh, of the films. And, uh, and then uh, when that apartment fell uh, like that apartment, like we, uh, I was in like another loft, uh, when that apartment fell, like I didn't have a place to go surfing then. And, uh, I would park outside of my storage cause I had like Wi-Fi, and I would just sit there and I would watch like four films a day, like not have to worry about any like actual like house expense and like, you know, nothing like, you know, I'd have to go to work or whatever. Like I just kind of just sat there and I just, I just studied all these damn films for like a couple months and I would just screen cap every damn frame and, uh, I would just study the intricacies of it, you know what I mean? But it was like the films that you wouldn't even like, it was like a chore sometimes, man. Like if you ever watch like Greed, I think it's like a, Eric Von Stroheim, it was like a four hour silent. It was like nuts, bro. A four hour silent film isn't like a fun thing to do anymore. It's uh, it's very, very like, it's not really entertaining. It's more of a like, oh, you get the perspective of it. And when it's mentioned, you're like, oh, this is why they do this, you know, but it's like, it's kind of a necessary chore. So I realized if I studied the history of it, I would have a lot more perspective. And then uh, I found a film program in Los Angeles uh, called the uh, LACC. And I started, uh, uh, I started film school there. And uh, I went there for like three years. Uh, you know, you got a lot of, you know, like some people shit on film school. Um, and granted, like they kind of have a, they have a reason because like, you don't necessarily need it, you. Uh, but it doesn't. Uh, the network and the people that you meet, uh, they really. It's mostly the network of people. But then again, there is shit that like they'll teach you there that you're not gonna get like anywhere else. Like, like nobody's gonna teach you. I mean, it's like you'll learn grip. You'll yep. you'll be able to find a job as a grip. Like you know, you have to like start out as an assistant and work your way up. But like 
you know, but I went there for three years. I got my degrees and uh, I met uh, as I was there. I was taking a uh, this is actually led to my first film uh, or the first film I worked on that was like really mine. But like while I was there, I got to develop some of uh, I got to understand how to really do shit. Uh, so like I, I wrote the script for one of my first features uh, or my first short film, uh, Highland. Yeah. Like over there, I got a couple, you know, I, I got I got like somewhat of a voice. I realized that I really enjoyed screenwriting. Um, yeah, I'd never written a script before, uh, before going to school there. And, uh, I was taking a journalism class because I, I realized that journalism was like more of a, a faster form of film. It's not necessarily filmmaking, but you have to tell a story. Like you have to tell a story in journalism. You have to tell a story every day, which is, uh, you know, if filmmakers had that kind of, uh, drive in order to produce every day, like you have to produce every day. Uh, that's kind of what I, I, I've fallen back on with my stills um, is because I can do a still every day and it's not necessarily a film, but it's close to a film, um, you know, but you have to produce it every day. As long as you're exercising every day, you can get towards that goal. Uh, so uh, I was taking a journalism class and I uh, what's it called? But I was also taking editing at the same at the same time. Uh, so I was taking, uh, so I was taking journalism and editing and, uh, it smoked, uh, it smoked a, like a really fat blunt and I was going to editing class because I had to sit in front of a fucking computer for like six hours. So, um, I smoked a blunt and, uh, this old Russian lady, uh, this older Russian lady was like, uh, you smell like marijuana. And I was like, cause I smoked marijuana. So she was like, uh, do you want to come to marijuana paradise? And I was like, marijuana paradise. And I was like, and then she pulls up this trailer uh and it's like uh it's this three minute trailer like people like jumping off of like waterfalls and like people like throwing weed and like you know like quads and guns and like you know all this shit i was like hell yeah i want to go to marijuana paradise so uh during trimming season for northern california uh so we're in los angeles i get on a greyhound with this uh the russian lady so uh uh, we go up to Reading for, uh, for trimming season. And, uh, we, uh, we, what's it called? Um, you know, like I, I'm, I'm getting a profile of this whole like cannabis lifestyle and it's, uh, you know, how, uh, how the mountain works, you know what I mean? It's basically, so it's like a cabin in the middle of the woods, yep. like, uh, maybe like 30 miles away from everything. And, uh, they were doing a documentary on the, uh, on the Northern California cannabis scene. And uh, I just really wanted to do like a cool like article from like my my uh, my, my class. And uh, I went up there. I did like the little profile. I took some photos and stuff. And like you know, I met the dude who was like doing the directing for it. Uh, a couple weeks, uh, a couple days later, they're like, "Yo, like we really want you to produce it." And I was like, "Hell yeah!" Uh, so I I got a lot of like I, I provided them with like agent. Uh, you know, I did like you know make posters like a lot of the uh, the business side of it so i uh i i helped produce this documentary uh but it was that was like the first uh like piece piece that i worked on uh but the the problem uh, one thing i learned from it was like if everybody that's on the team isn't working like towards the same objective like the director like uh everybody like blew up his head Yep. to the point where he like he like thought he was like fucking like quitting tarantino or some shit you know what i mean it's, it's a very basic documentary but the thing is we we did this like around like 2016 
this is before like murder mountain and before like a lot of the a lot of the uh, the cannabis stuff actually got onto netflix so it was like a marketable property the dude a decent editor uh, a guy doesn't know how to tell a story can 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 shoot with the best of them can edit very stylishly uh does not know how to tell a story for the life of them this is a ukrainian guy uh so uh, but my Russian mom can tell a story very well. Like she's like a novelist. Uh, she has like a couple of novels. Or like, I think it was they were released in like South Korea or Russia. But she she worked in radio for a long time. Uh, but she knew how to tell a story and like how to really like you know form the ball of it. And this guy just had a bunch of little pieces, uh, pieces to make the thing. And he had the person who can like actually structure it. So basically uh, the team kind of like fell apart because this one guy's ego and like nobody wanted to work together. And I'm, I'm sitting here and demand more money or whatever, but like a, like a cool release where we rented out a theater, we attracted, you know, we brought everybody in and it was great, but uh, it's just the whole project kind of fell apart. And like, you know, we would have been able to release it and be able to edit it and like, you know, have it marketed and get to be first to market and actually like make money from the piece if everybody just worked together. So then after that, um, I don't know, we, uh, you know, I would still work at the farm. I, I had my own farm at the, at that point I would go and I, I like, I started cultivating plants. Uh, then, uh, after that, we, uh, we started, uh, we started on another project, which was more of like a, a fiction, like a fictional, uh, way of, uh, of like marijuana paradise yep uh, it was called gorilla for vincente uh and uh we had a budget this time like you know we had saved money from like you know harvests and stuff and uh we put it towards this production i think it was like 100 grand or like fifty thousand dollars or something, something around that so we put up a lot of money for this thing we hired a cast brought everybody up from la you know got a bunch of aries uh, a bunch of professionals and stuff and uh it was good it's just uh it's still in the editing process um we haven't, uh, hasn't been released. We have a couple of trailers and stuff on YouTube, but, uh, I basically, I just kind of like, I helped when I could, I wrote some, I wrote some scenes. Uh, it was just crazy. Cause, uh, you, you know, you just, it had, just has to be a cohesive team. That's kind of why I like being home a little bit now is because, uh, a lot of the people that I, uh, I grew up with, like, uh, they're excited for this. Like people in like LA, they end up having like, somewhat of an overinflated thing like um, some a lot of the people you run into like you'll you'll deal with a person that's like you know fresh out of community college and they think they're like rad pit bro it's like dude like we're all we still have to work we have to become these things you know not like i'm nothing yet you know what i mean like we're you know we're still, we're still even when we get to that point you should still act like you know like you know because we're just an artist bro we're only here to make these artifacts like while we're here uh but you uh you do like I like being home because it's a little bit like some people have like somewhat of an ego. I think you, that's just a human quality that you have to deal with as a director. But uh you deal with uh you you make the pieces and it's a lot easier to make pieces with uh with people that you trust and the people that you love, you know what I mean? And like even if they're not the best person for the piece, um, if they are truly enjoying themselves and they're truly there for you and like you're truly there for them regardless of it it's going to show up on film and it's uh and that's and it's that goes echoes back to the cassavetes thing man where it's uh you know like we're here to have a good time we're here to have a good it's a 
good experience. And if we're all having a good experience, man, it's going to show up on the film. And even if it, even if it's not like the best story, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be uncut gems, but you know, we're here and we're having a good time. We're, we're doing our job and we're going to reap the benefits of it. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you were, you, you, sorry if that was a little bit of a rant. That's fine. That's fine. You, um, I'll, I'll mention something uh, in passing that uh, you, you were mentioning about the Martin Scorsese um, when you were you were studying those films that he suggested that you yeah. need to watch, and uh, you were mentioning that you um, you took notes. You were like doing screen, screen grabs caps every frame. I have like thirty seven thousand frames, and it reminded me of when I saw Scorsese's film Hugo. How it's something really incredible about that where he has reshot scenes that the great Georges Mellet filmed back in the day. And he actually shot them and showed you how that magic came about back in the day. And he did such an incredible job of doing it that it's an amazing thing to watch. I mean, it's a good film in itself, but those bits, when it goes back and shows you him making the films itself themselves, those bits, they're like film magic. Yeah, nah. it's uh, it's a beautiful process, dude. It's, yep. You know, there's just so much history, man. It's like, it's like how uh, how some people like you have to my my internet's unstable, isn't it? Okay, well, what's it called? How uh, like painters, like in order to study, they would uh, they like repaint the old masters, man, or like uh, I think it was Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> Uh, was the one who he uh, he would rewrite like uh, old Hemingway novels and stuff like on a typewriter in order to just feel how the words flowed. Yeah, and I tried that a couple times. It's, uh, it's very tedious. Um, not <laughs> I don't have as much drive to be a, to be a writer than I do as a filmmaker. But you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just lazy nowadays. Uh, but yeah, man, what's it called though? It's part of the process. You know, I mean, it's just uh, is having reference images, man, and just uh, seeing how the lights hitting, seeing people's styles, you know, and then from like basically uh, how I feel like I've developed is uh, is I'm like a fondue, uh, for for lack of a better term, is just to be like a fondue of like you know, like here's like Haskell West Westler, uh, Haskell Wexler's and like. You know, his like gritty ass shots, Prieto with his like, you know, his longer takes, you know, like how Orson Welles will be like more textbook and like, you know, very like filmic, like, you know, foreground background, like, you know, these like weird, like three point perspectives and stuff. And you have like Kubrick, you know, you have all these things. And, you know, if you do your history and you truly appreciate all of it and you're really studying it, you're going to it's going to rub off. It rubs off on you subconsciously. You're not necessarily like copying people like. Tarantino literally takes the, the shot itself and recreates the shot just because he just samples it. And yeah. it's not that it's not, you know, it's not in its right place. It's, you know, he uh, he's he's creating something new. You know what I mean? Like, you can't tell me that like, Reservoir Dogs is in a piece of art, like or like or Pulp Fiction. Like, you know, yeah. the, the dancing scene in Pulp Fiction is like from like a Godard movie, you know, yeah. it's uh, but it's, you know, it's part of like cinema language. It's more like that any of it. But it echoes back to it. You know, you're paying homage, man. You're paying homage by doing things. Yeah, it's like when 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 Tarantino did uh, did Jackie Brown, that was a black exploitation film from the from the 70s, 
filmed at that time. So he was paying homage to those films from the 70s, but bringing it up to date. And I mean, that's my favourite Tarantino film. Really? Jackie Brown's your favourite? Jackie Brown is my favourite Tarantino, yeah. Yeah, again, getting some criticism from the Salts, man. I know a little (laughs) from some people. Which one? Which one are you going for, man? Which Which one's your favorite one? I'm, I'm a simple guy. Pulp Fiction for me. Eric Saltzman, Pulp Fiction, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. T- to be honest, I don't think you can go wrong with any Tarantino film. Grindhouse. Grindhouse, not a not no. Actually, but then again, I, I don't know. You got it. You got I do have a have a have a beef with hateful eight. Okay, hateful eight, man. It was a when I was in school, like uh, they had a I don't know who it was. I think it was like a Weinstein company or somebody was producing that shit. But they had a person that was going like film school to film school and was like, "Yeah, this movie is going to be amazing. It's shot on like super eighty fucking like eighty millimeter whatever like uh, the." The, the film stock on it was supposed to be the huge film stock that you can get every detail. It's like the, the equivalent of like a million mega, megapixels or whatever. Uh, and uh, you know what I mean? Like uh, the whole shit's just shot in a, it's shot in a, a log cabin. Like it's, you don't, you don't really even need that much. Like you really need that much detail. Like it's, it's the same. It's just a set, man. It's just it's a single setting place. I mean, granted, like, you know, there's some like scenes where it's just all the snow and whatever, but I like the stage play aspects of it, man. I'm not necessarily. Eh. Are you hateful of the eight? <laughs> if if you're going if you're going for a film that has a very stage play feel to it, then I'd personally go for my my favorite of that sort of uh, shot uh, film would be uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Rope. I think that's an incredible film, and it is shot oh, like a play. Oh, I love that! It's man. fantastic. Oh, the film. single shot. The single the shot. Single- yeah. Shot, man. It's crazy. It's one shot the entire film. Yeah, it's nuts. You think Birdman is crazy, man. That yeah. guy was doing this shit in the 60s. Absolutely. And, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You Genius. know, and yeah, that, that is my favorite film director as well, Hitchcock. Oh, yeah, you're a Hitchcock guy? Yeah, which, what's, uh, what's your favorite Hitchcock one? You strangers on the train? One of you fucking uh, psycho? Possibly Vertigo. You know, with the. Vertigo, yeah, I agree. Vertigo, Vertigo is fucking is beautiful. Yeah, it is. And, I, used to, I used to think it would be boring. Like before I watched it, I had like this weird like uh, connotation, and I was like, ah, it's just gonna be another like sixties film. And then you watch like how intricate like the colors and like how the story winds out. Man, that guy could tell a fucking story. Man, that guy was a great storyteller. Absolutely. I, I, I think I'm Strangers on Strangers on a Train was crazy for me. Yeah. I love the fact that, you know, Hitchcock was basically inventing storyboards back in the 30s and the 40s. I mean, he was using what became standard for most filmmakers. Before that time, they weren't as intricately storyboarded, I don't think, as he did, because basically he'd already, he, he said famously that he'd already made the film on storyboards and in his mind before he'd even shot it. It was all there on drawn out and written out. Mm. No, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know. So, uh, I mean, I I 
know it was a heavy story. He just goes off on the intricacies of it, but I didn't know he was like one of the pioneers of it. I thought it was more of an animation thing. But um, and then you 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 mentioned somebody you, you were saying about Tarantino where he was you know inspired by other people and then he'd he'd like do his variations of shots. That reminds me of somebody like um, you know even going back to uh, Sergio Leone when he was making you know the Fistful of Dollars, where um, which was, of a, which is straight off of Kurosawa, Kurosawa you know Kurosawa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's crazy to me, man. Like Magnificent Seven. Yes. I was fucking like created the Western. That's the crazy shit about it. Samurai's created the Western. So that's a that's a weird, a weird deviation. But you know what's even crazier is the fact that Sergio uh, Sergio Leone is just like an Italian guy, and he yeah. was just like really, really, really into like the American West that he uh, that he created. You know what I mean? But he the, the fact that an Italian guy was really into the American West uh, took from samurai movies. You know what I mean? Uh, but then again, Star Wars too. Star Wars, The Hidden Fortress. Yeah, Hidden Fortress, yeah. Yep. By yeah, Kurosawa. I seen Hidden Fortress yet. I really got to see that. It's one of the ones on my list. I'm mostly, mostly like uh, Rashomon and fucking Yojimbo. Yojimbo. Fantastic yeah. film. Yeah, yeah Rashomon as well. Yeah. 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 I remember looking at those stills, man. Those shit's crazy. Yeah, he's, he's fucking wonderful, man. For a while, I actually used to bite off of uh, Akira Kurosawa because he, uh, you know, he, he like he rocks like the really dark sunglasses. It's like yeah. a trademark of his. Uh, I used to think that like if you were rocking that uh, darker sunglasses, that your your eyes get a little bit more sensitive to the light. I don't know if that's uh, if that's true or not, but uh, yeah, man, fucking, uh, it doesn't necessarily resonate so much anymore. Mm. No. But um, with Leone, with his filmmaking, you've got this. He used to have this. He had this really good thing of, especially in the the, the uh, spaghetti westerns, he'd have shots where you had weird shots where he'd have just the eyes, or he'd have certain looks for characters or whatever. He didn't care. He didn't have this thing about you know this person's got to look. All these people have got to look incredible. It's about almost like these quiet sort of strange looking people he'd have in shots to keep telling the story. And, and, and also there's something about his economy with dialogue as well, where like a film, like uh, once upon a time in the West, you've got absolutely no dialogue for about yeah, for 40 minutes time. or something, yeah. but yeah you know what's going on. It's still telling the story without any dialogue at all. And, and his vistas and his close-ups, he knew how to use the camera and how <laughs> to get a good shot. That's a testament to good cinema, man. Yeah. That's a testament to good cinema. It's just, um, if you could turn the sound off uh, on a film and, uh, and know exactly what's happening, yep. that's, that means you have like a, your, your visual. It's a, it's a language, man. It's a visual language. Uh, if you can tell the story with just the sound off and like go frame by frame, that's why the the benefit of just screen capping all the frames is that like you just go through all of them and you can get the whole story. You, you can understand what's happening and you can, uh, not, I mean, it, it deprives you of the, the beauty of like actual like written word, but um, you can see where it is. And that's how, uh, that's how cinematographers really, you could see like where their real thing is, you know what I mean? It's uh, is that they can, they can really, Either, you could do you could do it storyboarding. You could do it like off of off of just instinct, uh, but you could see what's happening. 
like through just the frame and every frame should be a red brand. Yeah. Hey, this is Jack from bad council. You want some good counsel? Keep listening to my man, Marv pods like us. So how do you actually develop an idea for a film and then uh, produce it? I, uh, in terms of like developing an idea, uh, I, I have a, maybe like 15 concepts, but what I end up doing most of the time is I'll hear a song or I'll have a vague, not necessarily vague, but I'll have like kind of a log line or like a very like, you know what I mean? It's like, like butterflies or some shit. And you know, you're capturing this one butterfly and the one butterfly is like, you could, you could boil down a lot of the movies down to the log line and uh, I'll get a log line or like a very basic concept. And then uh, I'll start to develop the visuals of the actual thing. I will, uh, I'll hear like my main tether to revisiting a concept is that I will have the song. Um, if I have the song of like mums, I know it's like, Mums is one of my projects. Uh, I can revisit, I can go back into that state of mind in terms of like, uh, I can like snap, I could kind of teleport back into it. And I have an entire line of artwork, like how, uh, how a fashion designer will do seasons. Yep. You know what I mean? Like Phantom Threads visuals are very different than Punch Drunk Love. Uh, Punch Drunk Love, like how, how the theme of something, uh, like, you know what I mean? But I, I'll have a song. And I'll listen to that song like a million times and I will develop. This is how I want the grain to be. This is how like, you know, the, the colors and all the shit. Uh, this is the characters and this is like, you know, how kooky they are. Um, so I'll go and I'll listen to the song. I'll write as much as I can or I'll develop the characters. Or I'll, I'll, uh, and then I'll map out. I'll do maybe like a bunch of bullets uh, yep. where I have the actual story arc. And there will all be scenes where I'm like, this person is like, this is how we introduce this person. This is how we introduce this person. Uh, this is where the journey begins. This is like, you know, a set fight or whatever. Not, not necessarily to make it so like to the T, but uh, I, I'll listen to the song and I, I will, uh, I'll flow with it via that. Um, and sometimes, man, sometimes it comes and it's a fight, but most of the times I end up, uh, I end up just coming up with it in like a single, like there'll be like a single night and then you do like a reroute, like a crazy like rewrite, but you have to manifest on it. Like the thing is, uh, I, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll develop these characters um, and I'll develop them more and more and more because you're basically as the director, you're kind of playing all the parts and you're seeing where these people are, how this person would talk. You know what I mean? Like for Shakedown Cop, we have like Jerry and uh, Reese Cartone. Um, like Jerry's like the ruffled, the, the, the rustic, the rusted like cop that's been on the beat for like a long time. And Reese is like a hotshot one's kind of like colors. Yeah. Um, but my main, my strength as a, uh, as a director is that I can, I'm a, I'm a very good photographer at this point because I've just been doing it for like a long time. Uh, I see visually more than I, I see uh, in terms of literature, but when I have the actual like voice of the characters, I, it comes out very well. It comes out natural. 
Like, I don't really like it to be like, oh, Jim, do, do, do. I don't, I don't like that shit. I like, uh, I like how people really talk, like the way, you know, like, you know, I, I, I like how people talk and how. Uh, so you have to listen to the actual rhythm of uh, of dialogue and listen to like the uh, how somebody can tell a joke or like like a joke is a story, like, and just you know putting those little intricate things because the reason everybody's actually there to watch your shit is uh that they want to hear a story man they want to hear like a very well-told story that will actually give them some type of perspective some type of value um so once i have uh once i understand the characters more and sometimes man sometimes they could take a fucking single day sometimes it'll take weeks sometimes it'll fucking sometimes they don't ever really show up and i give it to the actor and the actor develops them yeah the actor really has to fucking um to uh to embody the role you know what i mean they really have to uh they have to make it their own you know you could see how somebody talks like the the way an actor will interpret a script and if you give it to them is very different but then again you're you that's up to casting like like a lot of the uh if you have a good stable if you have a good stable of people uh you uh that's it's kind of why i'm like i'm an actor i'm not really an actor but like i, I fucking i take acting classes just because i if i see somebody or like i understand like how somebody works you can write for them and writing that's kind of, that's how Tarant, that's tarantino's secret really is that he knows that he can cast samuel L. jackson and he knows how sam acts you yep. know like uh but what he'll bring to a role so he'll talk he understands samuel L. jackson because they've worked for a long time yep. so he'll uh he'll write the part for him and you know he'll get what he wants because he knows that he's writing for sam and sam like likes that shit uh like uh i'll i'll write i mean like sometimes i'll write as like a, an actual exercise and like i'll create the characters and I, i'm not necessarily writing for anybody sometimes i'll write the role for the people that i have available uh and then sometimes you just write for you know what is possible what can actually just make the damn film because sometimes a lot of people they get in their heads so deep that they uh that they make something that's not even makeable they make like you know it's like well then the aliens come and then the car chase and then it's like dude like are you really gonna have a fucking budget for any of this shit or are we even gonna make it you know what i mean i'd rather have like something get made and like you know like I, and it's something that like somebody i know that will do this thing to 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 actually see it get made like you have to write for something that's gonna get made rather than write for something but uh sorry about that uh and i don't go on tangents but uh what's it called uh i'll uh i'll listen to a song a lot of the times and uh i'll, I'll come up with a lot of the visuals over there like if i hear a song we can come up sometimes with the whole montage of like of how the images are like flowing like you know for like shakedown cop we have like this whole crazy montage uh for sign lights bra and it's just like you know sunrise you know it's all these beautiful shots that uh and they're not even like made yet but i know the images so well uh in my head that i i, I just i just get it you know what i mean like I, i know and i know how to achieve the shots and i know where they are i you know what i mean like i've made the the montage into something that i can actually make it's just uh being in the actual mode of production is uh is the thing that's that's why that's my biggest quip with filmmaking is that there's so much like moving the moving parts are the challenge that like everybody seeks but uh are not necessarily me is the challenge uh like i seek but um uh, it's not the uh i don't know it's just you know it's not as easy as photography you take your image and you're just seeing life as it is and you can react to life 
as it is as a photographer and you could react, react to life as it is as a filmmaker as well but uh it's not as uh it's not as logical like if you if you get a frame as a photographer as a street photographer yeah. um you you find the beauty in the in the daily like you know what i mean and it's just this is just life as it is and this is something i saw and this is like you know and you know it can tell a story it can be a flower vendor you know on valentine's day when this the light is just hitting perfectly you know like and that's a very easy film it's not a film but it's like it's a film to me uh uh but when you have these concepts um it's a lot deeper you know what i mean and it's a, a lot of it's kind of boils down to politics and it boils down to you know uh logistics and uh money and all this shit that's kind of why i like the freedom of being a photographer but the the challenge of being a filmmaker is really what i strive for yeah it's like the, the yeah i take a lot of samurai philosophy into it it's the only real way you can kind of get by into it yeah is uh I don't know if it was, I don't know who it was. I think it was Mizuguchi. He made, uh, you know, Musashi over here, this uh, this one samurai, uh, yep. Miyamoto Musashi. Yep. He, uh, he wrote, uh, he wrote like the code of the samurai. Like It's called the Dakota. And it's uh, like, I think it was like 21 or 28. I actually have it as my background, but I'm being lazy right now. But uh, it, it's the code of the samurai. And one of the first ones is, or no, no, no. I think this is actually in the Bushido, the, the book of Bushido. And uh, one of the things that resonated me from that book was, is if you don't try to hit your mark as a, uh, as a person, uh, you die a dog's death, which is kind of, you know, what you have to strive for. It's just, you know, knowing what you're actually striving for. You know what I mean? Like my two things, man, is I'm always just going to do cannabis and I'm always going to make films. Those are the only two things I really want to do. Every single, all of my days are concentrated towards, uh, becoming a better filmmaker like you know and providing for my family those are the only two things i really and it's just a and a concentrated effort day by day by day is uh actually rashad right if we're gonna recall back to him uh he has his uh his motto is day by day getting better and better and that's what you got to do man you really got to do you really got to do that shit it's just uh it's the only real purpose we have in this world right now is to take care of all the people and get better at our arts man and we're doing it right now mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, in, a, in a sense, then you've got uh, you've got a basic idea of where you want the film to go from start to finish. And then it's it's a back and forth between you, the the cast and everybody else involved in the making of the film. And you build the film from that. So long as you've got this, so long as it tells the story that you want to tell anything that anybody else suggests that you are open to. And if it works, it works and you put it in there. And if not, then you carry on almost a dialogue between the creatives, essentially. Yeah, basically. Like I uh I like to leave a lot of uh I like to leave a lot of room for uh for the actor to create. That's uh because a lot of that's it kind of calls back to uh the marijuana paradise thing. Um the person who wants absolute control has absolutely no control. Yeah. Um, and when you start to realize that people are people and you just kind of like you and I, I, I've, learned, I've learned it like just living with people like some like I could be like, this is the mastermind Matthews a bullshit where it's, uh, you know, this is mums and oh, you have to deliver it like this. And, 
if it's deviating from the fundamental, like the actual goal, yep. you know what I mean? If it's like, like if, if my character is like a, a cop and now suddenly he wants to become an insurance salesman and it's not a script, I'm like, I'm the check of that. I'm like, yo, what are you doing? Just you need to like, can you please deliver like this? And it's, you know, if it, if it just not getting it, you know, you just gotta, you gotta cut it. Uh, but you know, like in terms of, uh, in terms of like, if the, if, you know, this, he wants to approach it with a raspy voice or if he wants to make it this like thing, that's up to the actor net because yep. you're, you're enlisting these, these people are mercenaries and they're there on for you. I mean, yep. you're granted you're paying these people, but like they're there for you and you have to, they're artists and actors, great artists, bro. It's very hard. It's a very hard job to act. Uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, but you, if you're trying to like control these people, then you're just playing with dolls, man. You're not collaborating. You're just so in your own head about like how something should be that you're not going to let anything actually feed. You know what I mean? Like, like sometimes I think like, uh, like, you know, so, like I'll, I'll run into the problem where it's like, oh no, like, you know, I had this envision for this or this and that. But if you know that you're, you are hiring like a real professional you know what I mean? Like if somebody is an actual professional of it, bro, they're going to bring out some shit and just being like receptive to it and saying yes to the universe, man. If you, if you're just like, if you just let them work and actually be the artist that they are, because that's the reason you hire them, right? You're the one yep. to guess on them. Uh, you just let them be the artist that they are, unless they're like completely going off and like doing their own thing. You know what I mean? Where it's like, uh, that was the, one of the problems with gorilla for Vincente is that we had this one producer guy who's like, he was a producer and you're supposed to like schedule everything and like and keep it all good. But uh, our lead was like a, uh, the story's about like a Mexican boy tries to uh, provide for like his like fiance by growing weed in Northern California. Uh, and it was a Mexican guy. And then we had, uh, he hired like this theater guy and the one theater guy had like a nervous breakdown because it was like, Oh man, there's so much weed or whatever. Like, like you know, he thought, thought it was in like a crime zone. It was just a bunch of growers, man. I don't know. It's just, you know, people are just pussies um what's it called uh so uh we had this one producer man and this is a ukrainian guy as, as clear as clear skin as a napkin uh he was like i'll be vincente and i'm like bro i'm like we're gonna I'm like what is this tropic thunder bro like you know what i mean but we had uh they were trying to cast me because i i guess i, I look like a, like a jewish mexican that's ends up being uh the race i ended up getting grouped into uh they're trying to cast me but i'm not really an actor uh so but i was like yo russian mom i'm here for you if you need me to act i'll, I'll like you know like whatever i'll do it uh but we had this one kid who uh who uh was what's it called uh who was driving cars like he was like only they only hired him just so he can drive and the guys go out of mall uh yeah. he was driving cars he was only there he's not really an actor he's made some films uh this is william hernandez he's one of the hardest workers i've ever met in my life bro uh, I really miss him if he, if he sees this podcast or if I can send it to him, whatever. But uh, what's it called? Yeah, dude, this kid, bro, uh, wasn't an actor. Uh, it didn't sign up for the shit. But, you know, like he brought that's that's the shit, man, is like because you don't like. They they hired this guy who had all the training in the world. You know what I mean? It's like real thespian. It was like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the, the guy who like wants to be an actor. And yeah. then you can get the guy who's just driving. You've muted yourself, Matthew. Unmute. 
Am I good now? Yep, can I you now? I don't know what happened. (laughs) Well, anyway, what's it called? Uh, So uh, this guy, uh, he was just only supposed to do the cars. And then uh, when the one thespian guy, like, uh, backed out of the the film, uh, Will... It was between either me or Will, and then we had the one guy who was like a Ukrainian white guy who was fighting for the role of like a, a young Mexican youth. Um, yeah. So we, t- we picked Will, and uh, Will is just like a hardworking dude. And, uh, you know, regardless of how ridiculous the scene was, he was there for the family, and he was there to to, to see it out. And that's, that's the testament, man. It doesn't necessarily, like, you know, Will's not like Daniel Day-Lewis, but, uh, yeah. you know, he is the best person. Like, you, you could find somebody who's the best person for the job at that time. And, uh, and that's the thing, man. You just let them collaborate. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, that's, that was Gorilla for something. You learn a lot, man. You learn a lot on every, like, little, little project, you know? It's the reason why we do these things, isn't it? Because every time that we do them, we hope that we learn something each time and, and that we do something based on what we've learned we do better next time or we learn from things that happened before day by day getting better day by day getting better and better Rashad right it's right true. There yeah it's very true what's up everybody this is Chris from the podcast real film reviewed and you're listening to Marv on pods like us so what projects have you got ahead then and you can tell people about this podcast that you're coming up with as well in this and any films I am, we have Shakedown Cop and Art Dealer. Uh, Shakedown Cop, we're kind of waiting. I might want to wait a little, maybe till like fall uh, to get it done. But we have Art Dealer, uh, which is coming soon. Uh, basically, the building out of the studio downstairs is kind of delayed a little bit. But uh, Art Dealer is uh, it's kind, of a, kind of a mockery on like the modern art, on the modern art market. We got Neil okay. Gazai returning uh, as uh, uh, as uh, what's it called? He's a, it's, it's it's a great concept, man. It's gonna be so much fun. But uh, from the creative mind of, of Neil Gazai, get to get to get to collaborate on that again. Uh, haven't haven't done that since Samurai versus Viking. And then after that, we have Shakedown Cop. Uh, that's in like the fall. And uh, if we can get the financing, man, we have this one project called Brochambo. Um, yep. It's called the Art of Didi Mao, and it's a uh, basically a concept of uh like a russian roulette uh like tournament um or like uh the training of uh of people going into the russian roulette like like scene it's uh it's pretty good but yeah we have all those scripts like done um a couple little little pieces here and there i kind of just keep everything fresh going by like just taking photos every day and uh do some writing here and there but mostly it's just the build out of the studio is uh is the majority of the uh, and, uh, but yeah that's uh kind of what i got going on right now you know work on the kid a little bit you know get some get some shots in and uh trying to get a podcast going soon you know just a uh, more casual so before we get to talking about the podcast very quickly because it's still informative um the, the films then so how do you get the money together and then how do you actually do you have a certain company that you market the films through and distribute through that you have a back and forth with? Um, well, sometimes uh, for the films that I've made so far, they're like kind of like one day, one day little shorts. Uh, 
I just, I save, man. I, uh, I believe in actually, like a lot of people tell you to rent. Um, I believe in owning your own kit and having the actual means of production. Um, I feel like, I mean, like you can go and like rent a, rent a kit and do whatever, man, but like purses aren't that much. I mean, they're like a decent amount of money, but it's like, you know, like I, I work pretty hard to, uh, to be able to like, like all my energy goes, goes towards this. Um, I don't, I don't have any kids right now. I know that I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Um, I could sit here and be like, well, you know, I could shop it to all these people and whatever, man. But at the end of the day, like there's a really good meme that I have, uh, I saw where it's, uh, it was this one tech guy, Paul Graham, uh, where it was like, uh, it was like the, uh, an IQ spectrum. And at the end of the spectrum, uh, it was like a retarded guy. It was like a retarded like face. And it was like, it just says make stuff. And then uh, it like goes up to like the, the IQ like spectrum or like, or whatever it goes like up like a little bit. And it's like plan, organize, pitch, like all these like things. And there's like person like with like glasses that are like, and then it goes to like a Jedi and it just says make stuff. And at the end of the day, bro, so you just, you know, to have the, you have to have the means of production in order. Like if you're gonna, if you're gonna do a job in sheet metal, you gotta have a good hammer or like, you know what I mean? If you want, if you, if you're trying to like trying to be a construction worker, have good tools. You gotta buy like DeWalt. Don't don't buy like Riley. Uh, you know, so I believe in like owning my equipment. So whenever whenever people want to actually go and make something, I'm I'm there for it, man. You know, people pay me for it. Uh, but you know, like whenever I want to make something that's personally satisfying, like you know, I can go and do it. And like that's the beauty of uh, doing street photography too, is that you're just open to the what what you can make out of that. You don't necessarily necessarily need all the shit for it you know i mean if, if you're trying to make a big production and you're trying to go and uh like hire a bunch of people and do whatever you can either save uh you could go and try to get some grants uh you know but like that's that's where like the politics and like a bunch of like other shit goes into it man is it, but at the end of the day man your network is your net worth you just gotta like know who can facilitate the right things in order for you to make your things you know you have to make your things but you're moving towards if you're moving forwards towards like that, that like true north you'll, you'll you'll be fine hey it's gil from the mind today's mind culture and social podcast and you're listening to pods like us so what would you suggest to people then if they wanted to start going into filmmaking for themselves uh i would suggest that even though like even though i'm saying like go and get like you know you can go and like save money and buy a good kit and do whatever uh don't be so pretentious about the uh the actual like like you could be like you could be in your head so much about the quality of like, you know, your, of your camera and you, that at the end of the day, bro, you just end up, you end up falling into this cycle of gear collecting where it's, I need to, I need this in order to do that. I need this. Like we shot Balaclava, man. And Balaclava was on like an iPhone. And then we shot another one and like, you know, I put a little bit more money towards it. And I had two like little red cam phones. Like they were both shot on phones. Um, yeah. But I had two, two cameras, uh, two camera sets. They're like a hundred bucks each. So 200 bucks. Uh, you know, like, 
and it's like i mean you can sell it to netflix but it's like you know it's uh it's something that will stand the test of time with like me and my friends or whatever and uh you know like don't get so in your head about it and at the end of the day bro you can just be creative like you know i mean a lot of people they like they're very scared of the unknown like you know like being like afraid of the dark um just you know while the, the shit is happening you're gonna you're gonna adapt uh while you're actually swimming in it and that's the fun of it now is like when you're when you're being creative on like you know some shit goes wrong you know what I mean? Like some some shit goes wrong. Like say the the one person doesn't want to do the thing. Then you get Will as a one. You get Will as actor. You know sometimes shit just happens for a reason, and you just you work around it. And that's the that's your job to be like is being creative. Man. Is like you have to you know you have to be like a whole rounded person rather than the very like solo experience of taking photos. You know I mean not necessarily solo experience. Like you and the subject have a relationship most of the time. I don't know most of the time. Sometimes it's just voyeurism. At least for me, it's because I can't be paying all these subjects. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've, I've mentioned this as a. Uh, it's mentioned in another episode that I've done before, not not too long ago, where I use the example with that, where um, you know, when you said sometimes things don't work or do work or whatever, I always use the example of the shark in Jaws not working. That, oh, yeah. that, that ended up making that film a lot better because there was that element of suspense. Yeah. Whereas if you if you had the shark working throughout the entire film, I don't think it would be the same film. You have to work, bro. You have to find a way around it. You can't sit around. Uh, if something goes wrong, you can't just like sit on your ass. And be like, it's not going to be one. Life doesn't go any way anybody wants, bro. You have to just go. You have to... You could sit there and be like, you could take a minute and meditate on like, oh, wow, this is fucked up or whatever. Like, uh, I think like Drew or something, he said it was like a three-day rule. If something is bothering you like three days later, it really doesn't even matter. Um, but like, you know, you just, uh, if something's going wrong, then you just you just take a necessary course of action and you just, you got to go. You just got to go. Some shit, some shit will bother you. Sometimes you just got to... This guy over here, uh, Alex Pergamon, he, he gave me a, a really good uh, insight uh, called like equilibrium, uh, and you have to develop that, and that's a, it's a, it's a skill you develop. Like, but you can only really develop it if you're actually putting your ass to the fire. Uh, so you come with this equilibrium, or it's like you know something's not going your way, and you center yourself, and you center yourself, and you're like, all right, well this isn't going this way, so we have to go, and boom, and then you just keep going, man. Just keep marching forward, man. Uh, you just be creative in the, in the moment. If something's going wrong, you know what I mean? Say the money is pulled or whatever, or like, you know, you could still make it. Even, I mean, granted, if it's like a contract for hire and they want somebody else to me, but like, whatever. But then, dude, it's just not meant to be, but you can't let anything stop you. You really can't. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of tremendous disappointments in everybody's life, either money, your family, or whatever. You can't, you can't let that shit fuck with you. You got to keep going. Or you're dying a dog's death. You got to go back to the, the samurai code. Granted, not everybody follows it. Oh my. Rules to live by. This is B. Nicole from Buried on the Tundra, and you're listening to Pods Like Us. So, Zaytoon in the afternoon. Then I, 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 I love that that title for, for for the podcast. I don't know. I don't know, man. Still got to make it work. It's a hook now, though. So, uh, <laughs> Still a very loose concept, but 
I don't know. I, I wanted to actually the uh the what's it called the I don't want it to be as like as structural. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I like uh I like very loose structure for it. I don't want it to be like. But then again, and then I see like actual like shows that are produced as as podcasts, man. And like uh, really is a great art form. If you really uh you really get it rocking, it's it's a beautiful art form. Yeah. No, uh, I'm trying to figure it out. You know what I mean? It's just a new medium, too. But I feel like it's a faster form of filmmaking, too. Yeah, it's definitely a medium that's um, taken shape recently. Yeah, we're taking, we're, we're telling stories, like, you know, like, there's got to be, like, some background. Like, you just heard by background, like, the whole story. And I, I would love to, you know, just pick people's brains, man, and to see see where it is and you uh you become a, a better conversationalist you know what i mean it's a lot of a lot of development shit for it. mostly for me you know I mean? but everything i mean the one for them one for me but afternoon fm is for me man so you know uh you get to i really want to see because the insight that you get from people and learning from people man is, you know you can go and like watch a million youtube videos sometimes you'll learn more from the conversation or from like an actual person than you'll learn in any any college course man any college course mm. but yeah i don't know i'm still 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 trying to figure it out i got the mics and i got a pod tracker and a dream and a, and a domain name that's uh, kind of running up a little bit of money but it's whatever man it's somewhere weak <laughs> but yeah man i don't know well, the concept sort of fits you because, I mean, you know, your, your film, your filmmaking is very realistic anyway, and it's just natural. Uh, essentially, it's got that natural feel to your filmmaking. So, to do a podcast where you're just having a natural conversation with somebody it, and, and a dialogue just works. It's just almost the same sort of thing, but in another medium. Yeah, I'll go. I'll have a, I'll have conversations with my friends, and uh, we. Uh, you kind of feel where like the you know it's like you're you're taking like the I, I don't know how I produce a spoon so fast but it's like creme brulee you feel like you're cracking the top of the creme brulee kind of you know what I mean where it's like oh this is this is like the real custard of uh of when they're humor and I want to make man is a is being a doc it's like a is a theatrical documentarian you know what I mean it's uh you're getting that piece of the human experience and you know, you're you know you're you're giving it the orange videotape where it's the the packaging of the orange tape and it's uh you know it's like you know it's nice and it's marketable and like you know everybody can digest it you know like a like a nice pill that everybody have but it's like the pill is like reality um the you know like or how somebody feels or this is how somebody reacts in a situation or like you know how how it really is you know and you know that's uh the the beauty of podcasting is it is documentary you know what i mean like I feel like people get some insight into like Elon Musk when he goes on Joe Rogan or whatever. I mean, granted, it's like, you know, it's a little theatrical, you know, it's like, here, try the weed, you know what I mean? Everybody makes their themes. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's either schlepping like some type of uh, program or actually giving the insight that's not like, you know, a sales pitch to investors. It's just like him just talking. Man. Like, I'm not, I'm not really selling Shakedown Cop right now. I'm just, uh, just talking about, it, you know, but I hope. Hopefully it ends up being something that I'm proud of. It's like being a parent, man. Like you're proud of all your children. There's just some of your children that you uh, are a little bit more proud of than the other. But I don't know. So where can people get hold of you if they want to contact you? 
I'm on like every social media platform. I end up like adding mad people. Uh, but I'm on Instagram. LinkedIn is pretty heavy. Uh, YouTube. Um, just type in Matthew Zaytoun, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-Z-E-I-T-O-U-N. Uh, in any of them, I should pop up uh, as me. I think I'm the only person in the world with that name, except for like a little kid in Montreal who apparently uh, is into Little League. And I've already sent people to kill him. Um, I'm still waiting <laughs> for the results of that. But after he dies, I will have complete Google dominance. Um, so I don't know. But that's uh but yeah, and I just type in type in my name and then the, any Google or whatever shit should pop up. You see my work, uh, whatever weird shit that I do. But yeah, it was a great talk, man. It was awesome. Great. Yep. Hopefully, uh, Professor Martin Quibell from uh, Toronto will not send a hitman to come and kill me. Uh, no, nobody. No, it's. Wait, do you have one? You have. You have another doc. You have a Google doc. I have Googled and found a doc. Montreal. In uh, I think is Toronto. I think I'm not sure exactly where about. What what is with these Canadians, bro? What are these Canadian doppelgangers? Stolen all names. The U.S. and England. We're going to take over Canada, bro. The French have had their time. And uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. There can only be one. There can only we're be taking one. you back. We're taking it back. <laughs> anyway, you can get hold of me. I'm on the socials, uh, on Instagram, Twitter, uh, even TikTok as well. That's that's an interesting one for filmmakers, TikTok. Oh, uh, it's a weird one, man. I don't it's know. A There's a lot of... A lot of I feel like if I'm not like a, a teenage girl dancing half nude, that I'm never gonna really break through that goddamn market. It's all good. I, I use it to post clips that I get from different uh, podcasts when I so listen to podcasts and some things jump out. I'll uh, clip that and then post it on there, and so I'm using it as sort of like a promotion for other podcasts. Word, bro. All right, word. Yeah, but yeah, that was a, that was a great talk, dude. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you everyone for listening. And I hope you listen again to another episode of Pods Like Us. Welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Quibell, known to my friends as Marv. And at this time, I'm speaking with Dylan and Kirsty from the podcast Happy Distraction. Hi, guys. Thanks for speaking to me. Hope you're okay. Hello. Yes, thanks very much for having us, Marv. Um, yeah, I'm okay. Uh, I don't know about you. Are you okay, Kirsty? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Yeah, I really appreciate uh, you letting us on. Um, and excited to to get to know more about you and for you to get to know more about us as well. So, Well, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to getting into the, uh, in, into, you know, finding out about yourselves and this uh, relatively new show. Cause I mean, I've, I think it's, it's only four episodes out so far or was one gone out while I've been off for two days. Um, so the, yeah, four, four episodes in a, in a kind of a bonus episode, um, uh, the uh, yeah was launched on the first of May, so yeah, pretty pretty brand new uh, ish. Um, though we put a kind of a trailer out, I think middle of April, 
so technically, I suppose it's more than a month old. <laughs> did did you have shows ready before then? Are you actually doing them week to week? Uh, so we kind of bundle recorded um, the first four. Yeah. Uh, so we always had those ready to go. Um, but now we're starting to do it week by week to just to make sure we keep up with kind of current, you know, uh, stories or events or what have you. So yeah, yeah, I don't want to be too far ahead. That's true. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense, really, because I mean, you know, to d- describe your show in a basic way. So 